It's those two assholes. <clears throat> those two idiots you saw me talking to at the third rail. Just he doesn't want to touch the third rail. That's you've hit the third rail for sure. That, that is the third rail, saying white people have interest. Third rail. The third rail here is uh, another wonderful show on our on the uh, TRS network. And it's the third rail. You will be destroyed. It's the third rail. You will be destroyed. Watch out for the third rail, baby. That's high voltage. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. AI currently identifying videos with Negroes. This is happening. It is episode 222. 222 of the most huggable, inconvenient, and inconsistent podcast on the air since 1973, The Third Rail. We are coming to you almost live in the mobile Third Rail studio, this time from Charlottesville, where once again, apparently, Matt Heimbach has ruined someone's marriage. (laughs) (laughs) That's evil. I'm sorry. That's terrible. No, but that was actually some of the testimonies. Somebody got married after they got hit after the car accident at Charlottesville, and the, the trauma was so bad that it broke up their marriage. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't believe it at this point. Sounds Good. tough, man. <laughs> Sounds like you were married to a fag. Were these sodomites yeah. that were married, Spectre? Probably. No, actually, I think it was a coal burner and a black guy. To be honest, well, isn't that just Matt part of the Takes that. another major dub. Yes. Takes a dub. He broke up a, a coal burner's marriage. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm feeling great right now. It is Spectre. I feel like I've crapped out a whole rotisserie chicken. And with me Jesus. are Larry Ridgeway <laughs> and Nikkei. How are you gentlemen doing? Is that what happens when you get that old? Uh, no. Uh, I I don't even I, I don't even know what that meant to be honest. Shit out the entire rotisserie <laughs> chicken. I am. <laughs> I am I am uh, I am operating on fumes. Uh, uh, I have no complaints. I'm loving what I'm doing, but uh, I'm, I'm doing this trial coverage, Charlottesville, for the national hyphen, uh, for national hyphen justice, and it is just it, it is soul sucking because uh, as much fun as it is to put the right narrative on what's going on there, just listening to the plaintiffs just drone on and on about how old they were emotionally damaged and oh my pussy hurts. And all of this, it's just – after a while, it just takes its toll on you. I've literally written this week alone um, almost 6,000 words in four days. It's more words than that's I've a written lot of, in the last decade, bro. Dude, and I don't even read the words because I don't know how to read. That's the weird part. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, so we go to National Hyphen Justice, and we, we will talk a little bit about the trial because that's about the only prep I have aside from something from uh, the captain of the, the Black Pill Longboat – I hope you guys have some good stuff. Um, I got one thing. But, I got uh, two things, actually. One's really short, though. Well, I got 99 problems, so let's get to those as well. Uh, uh, Nikkei, you got anything going on? Well, uh, I think we might have done this last year, but um, Tablet Mag seems to, to want to bring it back up again. It's the Halloween Dilemma. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure we... We already covered this, so I'm going to keep looking. Um, no, no, that's tab- always good. That's Could good you tell because me, uh, what what is the Halloween dilemma? I missed it. It's uh, a yeah. subheading says, "How did a holiday that once seemed like a bit of harmless fun turn into a source of conflict for many American Jews?" Oh my God, dude! 
I, I would wait, love so to I, hear Maybe this. we just had like a similar article back in uh, uh, around Christmas about uh, like holiday decor. I think they just complain about every single holiday. Well, because we're not so with it. Let's just go with it. This article it. is a repost. This was originally from 2017. Um, but I guess it's evergreen in their eyes, so they keep reposting it. Every year. Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm very interested in this, especially if this is about the costumes, because my costume for the party tonight is I have an authentic SS uh, camo smock, an uh, M34 field cap, and an armband. And you can guess you know, what it's going to look like all put together, basically like a short guy dressed as a SS sniper. Um, so is this about problematic costumes, or is this something more? I think this is just about uh, the the whole shebang of like setting up decorations and and going along with the tradition. Well, I think that before you like get into that article, it's I mean Halloween is a problem for basically everybody but white people at this point, right? Because that's I mean you hear Native Americans complaining because people dress up as fucking like feather Indians, and you got like niggers complaining because you have someone dress up as put blackface on or something like that like well you have niggers complaining because they go trick-or-treating and get shot at the door yeah well i mean what the hell do like do jews complain who dresses up as a jew like jews are something that's so disgusting that i wouldn't even be caught dead be pretending to be one on fucking halloween so who like who does this i've never seen someone (laughs) dress up as a rabbi i mean doesn't maraki you like do the like he does that's like the one guy Yeah, I was with a friend uh, driving by my girlfriend's house, and uh, she had put out some decorations, and and they were like, "Yeah, that's really nice of her to uh, celebrate your southern heritage by putting those clansmen in the yard." And I was like, "I think those are supposed to be ghosts, but I'm not sure." It's like um, ghosts, clansmen. I mean, hey, I, I there are times where I you know I'd rather have a bunch of clansmen in my house than a couple ghosts. You know, a bunch of spooks hanging around. I never I do the know. only spooks I want in my neighborhood. Let me tell you guys a funny story here quick. So when I was a kid, there was a woman that lived out back of our... Uh, I lived in like a town and stuff, but I had a, a fairly big yard. But in our yard, there was this house that looked like it didn't belong. It was on like the corner of the alley behind my house. But the woman that had lived there, she lived there basically her entire life. She was in her 90s. And we would go over there and our parents would send me and, you know, my brothers and stuff over there to, like, take food over for her and stuff because, like, her husband had passed away, like, decades before. And she would tell us these these stories and stuff. Well, we would get her going about the spooks and shit because we knew that was, like, a, a racial epithet from whenever like, back. In, and we would get her to go. She'd be like, oh, you can't go up. There are spooks up in the attic. She had no idea. We were, like... <laughs> Getting her to say there's niggers in her attic and stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a dumb story, but yeah, that was. No, I love funny. it. You could. I wish you could. I, I, I love working the, the word spook in in anywhere that I can. Like if you if you're talking about ghosts, you say spooks. If you talk about uh, glow niggers, you say spooks. Always. All regular niggers. CIA and, and, and also yes, yes. Um, I, I do think it's funny that um, or not funny. I guess it should be observed that. They're trying to make mainstream all these Jewish holidays, and with Purim, which is another celebrate, as with all Jewish celebrations, is another celebration of a genocide of the enemy of the Jews. Um, they've turned that into a a, a uh, holiday where you with the kids dress up in costumes. So they're like trying to overtake Halloween. Oh, like they replace make that- it. Yeah, 
the same way they want to do with Hanukkah and Christmas, and they've always really wanted to because they hate Christmas. Doing that. You, have no. you ever heard of a non-Jew celebrating Purim? No. Non-Jews don't. It's they're like, Purim. Uh, yeah, but, is that the stuff I put on my hands to avoid COVID? What the fuck? You know? well, real quick, yeah. okay, these <laughs> things, that was a dumb joke. These things all don't start out um, like you immediately start doing this, you immediately start doing that. Like, I mean, you could have asked a, a white kid in the 19, 1960s, like, <laughs> niggers ever, you ever see a nigger go to school with a white guy? It's just something that eventually happens. Yeah, that was mandated, whereas, like, the hol participation in the Purim holiday won't be mandated. But it is a meme that could catch on with, like, the really stupid people in this country. I mean, we are in a really Is that something uh, the kids get off of, uh, you know, myself included? Do we Do we get off of school for that? Not yet, but they give it for fucking MLK Day. So, like, why? I mean, why not do it for, like, the most important demographic in the country, according to, like, the powers that be here? It does raise the question of why Holocaust Day has not become, a, like, a national holiday. I mean, they've, they've managed to, like, you know, replace President's Day and George Washington Day and Abraham Lincoln Day with Martin Luther King Day, basically. So, and, and they want to replace Columbus Day with uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. So how is it that they haven't actually given us a Holocaust Memorial Day? I mean, they have they have the the days on the calendar. I think there's like one every month at this point, yeah. but not an as a for, formal national holiday. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think we get off for Purim because it's uh, in March. Well, I mean, uh, look, least, if they uh, did it with MLK, they could definitely do it with like some Jew holiday. You know what I mean? Everybody, yep. like, MLK, everybody, like, everyone, I feel like most people know now that he was, like, a communist fucking, uh, like, a communist rapist. womanizing rapist nigger. Like, it yeah. wasn't... Plagiarist and bisexual as well. Yeah, letters from a Birmingham jail, like, that wasn't, like, Stanley Levinson wrote that. That wasn't, wasn't some, like, fucking moron black, like, yeah. in, in jail. Give me a break. But no, I could definitely see him doing that. The Holocaust, I'm surprised it's not a national holiday. Pick one. That's what I'm saying. 12 we have, and just... There it is. Well, before we even get into it, I, I, I just – I actually am terrible at self-promotion as, as much as I'm in love with myself. Uh, I do want to throw this out there. Uh, November 12th, my book from Antelope Hill is going to be coming out, um, Opioids for the Masses, Big Pharma's War on Middle America and the White Working Class, uh, a book I wrote with Richard McClure. So antelopehillpublishing.com. Go there. But yeah. Um, Are you going to get uh, your co-author on to uh, for an interview? Yes, we'll have him on. We'll uh, hopefully Excellent. the two of us will make it like a do like a, a circuit of uh, you know shows both within Promos. our circles as well as uh, hopefully you know getting outside of because this is supposed to be a book that's going to appeal not just to our people uh, to to our guys and our thing, but hopefully it's going to have more mass appeal um, and wake a few fucking people up as well. Get it for my but, mom. But for going Christmas. back, to could you imagine Spectre on the View? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, Whoopi. <laughs> Joy, Joy, I, I'm a big fan of yours, and uh, let me tell you something. No, I, I can't, oh my god, I'd, I'd I would rather eat a luger at that point. Um, <laughs> I'd like to go on. No, but you. but but it, it is isn't it weird that, that that they have to place those Holocaust memorials? You know, I, if let's assume you bought the narrative, fine. Having one in Germany or Poland or whatever that would make sense, I guess, right? But why is there one in Dallas, Texas? Why is there one in Portland, Oregon? Why is there one in Washington, D.C.? If you buy the to narrative... Remind the people of the possibilities. Yeah, really. <laughs> because they know that, that anti-Semitism is, is borderless, and they have to like just put this up all over the place because it could just catch fire. 
You too not hu- can be an Auschwitz guard if you really want to. If you put your mind to it. Yeah. Um, no, but, but how- America is the land of possibilities. But how is it not a humiliation ritual to say, we're going to put this memorial that makes you feel guilty, that you feel obligated to go to, your school children will be forced to go to, in the land of the people who supposedly ended this evil Holocaust uh, happening? Well, it's it's really not about Americans so much as it's about the Jews. The Jews yeah. as a people without borders, basically the Holocaust did happen everywhere because – you know, as we know, the Holocaust is just a, a racial myth that was created by these people. So wherever these people are, the Holocaust is. Yeah, it's like and a so you need a memorial them. wherever they are. It's a reminder well, it, that they're here. I kind of want to flip the script on that. It's like their narrative is we have to be alert and, and vigilant because at any time the Goyim could turn on us. But really it's that Anywhere Jews go, eventually people get so sick of them that we will turn on them. So who's really the problem here? Who needs to self-reflect at this point? Well, it's like – Probably I, not all of us. It's like the, I saw the, this one thing one time. It was a uh, – it was like the, uh, going – imagine going to a job interview, right? And you've worked at 109 places. 110, actually. Like we, <laughs> the 110th has already happened. What was it, Yemen? Yes. Or Afghanistan, yep. like the last Jew left. Afghanistan would be 111, really, because Yemen was 110. Afghanistan oh, should be right. 111. So it's like, we yeah, have, no. Like, let's yeah. let's let's keep the real numbers here. We're, we're, we are on triple digits, uh, you know, repeating digits, one, one, one. Yeah. You know, make a wish, honey. But yeah, <laughs> like I saw. Imagine like going into a job interview, having had worked at 110 places before, and then telling the the person giving the interview that it's been everybody else's fault that you've been that you've lost all of it, that you've been fired from 110 jobs. Well, yeah, it's because everybody else is just jealous and, you know, I, I can't explain the hatred. And it's, you know, you guys have seen that thing where they have this one Jew. He's like, oh, you know, the thing is, is we just don't know what we've done because we never did anything. Yes. Why did they persecute me so? <laughs> they were like, we don't even, we never did anything. We don't have any idea. But just imagine 110. I've been married 110 times, and every one of my ex-wives calls me a piece of shit who she never wants to see again. And it's, it's all their right. fault. Well, it yeah, goes no, back to this the- is how I uh, presented it to my brother. Um, uh, it was it was sort of just out of the blue. I'm like, you know, I've been rejected by 109 women, and personally, I think it was all their fault. You know, I had nothing to do with it. And he's like, that that sounds not true it sounds like it's uh it sounds like you did something wrong and i'm like this is what well, the jews say when well, they were kicked out of countries and he's well, like what well like, Nick inspector that like that's the thing like if you explain something like to, like people will intuit they get that for every single group on the fucking planet and every other situation with the exception of jews like that's the only people that's the only situation like this that it doesn't just like pop into people's head because I've actually right. said that the same thing to people. Point. And they're like, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe it is just the oldest form of discrimination. Else's fault. <laughs> yep. Well, that's, that's, it goes back to my favorite, favorite saying, which is, Oy vey, all throughout the world and all throughout history, people have hated the Jews. What's wrong with the world? Yeah, don't they see yeah. the, the cool things that we do? <laughs> yeah, right. Mm. 
They brought you well, um, porn. Are you not grateful? How, how is it that we have no prep and we can just go on for 20 minutes about the Jews? I wonder oh. how that is. <laughs> is that what's, you what's really that about? Answer on that one? <laughs> it's almost like we're professional anti-Semites at this point. I really am. I really, really am. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm sharp as a sock full of soup, but uh, that's something I can intuit. I can see said, right through. Bro, what is it with huh? you this morning and all these crazy yeah. things? You're shitting like out rotisserie a sock, soup. a sock full of soup. You're shitting out rotisserie chickens. What in the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Dude, I'm a southerner. Yeah, no, Come on. We have similes. We have we have uh, similes. Kick it to the curb. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. Nobody's gonna get. You just get on out of it. You see something in the road, Specter, and you just sort of stop your car and get on out and just sort of give it a little kick, kick off to the side of the curb. Kick to the curb. <laughs> you use it at home with your wife. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we're not gonna explain. We'll tell you whenever we're off. But you know what? Who does explain? Uh, Chabad.org. They have a, uh, a What is Purim article that I found. Okay. Uh, we'll skip the first sentence, which is what it is. Uh, it commemorates the divinely orchestrated salvation of the Jewish people in the ancient Persian Empire from Haman's plot to, quote, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, infants and women, in a single day. Literally lots in ancient Persian. Purim was the name was named since Haman had thrown lots uh, deter, uh, to determine when he would carry out his diabolical scheme. Uh, you know, honestly, since we're talking about like Jews just lying about shit, this Haman bit, this probably didn't happen ever either. This probably didn't happen. Uh, so the way they frame it is like it was about. Their plot to destroy us, not when we killed them. <laughs> oh my god, these people. And the thing um, that didn't happen, or the, you know, is as they tell it, it's about what, or it's not about what they did, it's about what almost happened, but did Yes. Well, I think TDS has, has done like a deep dive on the whole Purim thing. Which is the Jewish holiday, Nikkei, you, you, this will be relevant to you. Was the one where they killed all of the, um, or maybe it's not a holiday. Maybe it was something to do with Masada, where they basically uh, some Jews were actually integrating some, somewhat successfully into Hellenistic society, and other Jews were like, "No, you can't do that. We can't subsume ourselves into Greek society," and so they they murdered all the those Greeks. That uh, that'd be Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Okay. I get my my that's, my that's I get my genocidal like the, holidays confused. Didn't they they put like some yeah, of those gay that's candles? That's where they're in the cave. Yeah, and the yeah, candles burned. The, the oil lasted years. eight days. Oh, well, it was, mm -hmm. it was eight days. That's what the menorah symbolizes, apparently. Well, what was the one where um <clears throat> maybe they didn't make a holiday out of this? But wasn't there a time when like a bunch of Jews were like fighting Romans or something? And they that like, was at Masada, supposedly. Um, the one got them up all to a, kill themselves, <laughs> except yeah, them. they they, yeah. they held they held up in a fortress for X number of days beyond which. I mean, obviously, they're telling like a glorified version of what happened. It probably, obviously, did not happen the way they tell it. But the they Romans just, came. They, just they put held KYS up. in the chat, and they all took it seriously. Exactly. That's it. Never mind. I had nothing to to add to that. That was perfect. <laughs> Yeah, then the guy no, um, then the guy gives up. He's like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry for what we did." He, like, I don't know what got into those guys. I was being held prisoner. 
Oh, we we love you, Romans. Come on, come on, Goy. Let let's let's make a trade. Let's do a deal. <laughs> it's like my Oy. name. It's like my name, Shlomo. You can call me Flavius if you want to. That doesn't matter to me. It's like fucking. I just changed his name in the spot. What you know? I was actually thinking about that. Uh, I mean, we we know how they they shapeshift, and um, if you ever meet somebody, you know, we we know about the the obvious, you know, precious metal stein names. But if you and, and there's a reason why, because so many of them settled in Germany for so long that a lot of Jewish names, it's like when you hear a German name, sometimes you're like, oh, is that Jewish? You know, your ears perk up. Yeah. But they also like adopt silly last names based on either their profession. Like uh, I was listening uh, to T.S. and they were talking about uh, some Jew named Tabak, which actually is Yiddish or goes, it, it's basically means tobacco grower or tobacco trader. Hmm. So so they'll take the last names of their profession in that sense. They'll just abandon their names at the drop of a hat. If if you ever meet somebody whose last name is like a country name or a region's name, very likely that they're a crypto Jew. You know what? I, I've I got to wonder: of... Did they even have last names? I mean, like, was that a thing? No. That what they would do is, um, uh, it would be like, uh, um, uh, you take whatever your father's name, and you'd add like son of like. Bar something. Well, that's a Norse tradition something. as well. Like, like, yeah, like, it's uh, it's like just how ancient people really name themselves. It's cool. just, hey, I'm X son of Y. Well, perhaps or like, in the Norse tradition, it was like Siggy Thor's daughter. Well, or per- yeah, go ahead. Well, I was to say perhaps like they're um, like Jews being like willing to being so willing and able to do it so quickly, like changing of their family names is be and. Maybe they, it's because they show less loyalty to the family than they do, like, the racial group at large. Because their mm. names, all of their names signify that they're Jews, but they're not, like, specific to their family. You know what I mean? Right, like right. The, and, and see, the, the willingness to change it like that. They're not loyal to, lo- well, like, smaller groups. Yeah, I'm not even talking about the ancient uh, naming traditions, but, like, modern ones, where you actually hear about Jews who, like, after 1945, who moved to Israel— the, the, sorry, let me rephrase that. Who moved to Palestine and the uh, illegal, non-existent state of Israel? They would change their name when they got to Israel. It's like, well, now you're in a safe space. Why do you feel the need to change your name again? Unless it's just, I mean, wh- what the hell's going on here? Like, no, do you have a no tr- than our no- slave name? I guess. I mean, but but uh, but they just make shit up, and it's like, uh, you know, like, do you have no loyalty to your family line? Is it like? Like you said, is it just strictly a, a racial loyalty? Which the shape give the devil his due. Give the devil his due. If if you know, if there's one thing we can say positive about the Jews, it's that they are racially loyal and cohesive in a way that we should be. It's just our detriment. But still, yeah, yeah, the motherfuckers. Like they're they're loyal to their race while like at the same time getting everybody else to just look at themselves as fucking individuals. They're yep. like the most despicable people on the fucking planet. Yeah, atomize the goyim and cohesive, uh, collectivize the Jew. That's the way it works. Well, let's actually get to some of the topics we got today. Um, what did you want to guys want to talk about? Well, shit, Nikkei was. Where, wasn't he just talking about? Oh well. Oh, we, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Do you want to go into I, I the Halloween dilemma? <laughs> oh, I thought that was your article, and, and the Purim thing was uh, separate. But yeah, whatever. It is separate. Go? Oh fuck. Okay. Um. So okay. yeah, let's just. It's okay. We could we, let's start off with Halloween dilemma. Uh, it's by Jenna Weissman Jos Joselet. 
What? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, that's her name. Jo- Joe Lyson? Uh, uh, Joselit. Oh, okay. J O S E L I T. Uh, it's funny how change encounters or uh, okay, eavesdropping uh, can give uh, rise to research. That's a terrible first sentence, by the way. There I was in the bathroom of a Jewish cultural institution when I overheard two women animatedly discussing from the comfort of their respective stalls what they had in mind to wear for Halloween. The Yom Kippur was just around the bend. It wasn't that holiday, or for that matter, Sukkot, the Jewish harvest festival, soon to follow. That energized and delighted them so much as the prospects... Time out, sorry. Sukkot, the Jewish harvest festival... Are, are they actually trying to imply that they get their hands in the dirt and actually harvest, you know, do any work? Actually, it's the uh, the Goyim Blood Harvest Festival. Yes, that's <laughs> the wow. Goyim. There's the, the is that the that's show title? where I was going with that. Yep. Is that the okay, show go ahead. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jewish Harvest Festival soon to follow. That energized and delighted them uh, so much as the prospect of the amazing costumes they would don for its Celtic counterpart then a few weeks away. I lingered a while in the bathroom, my curiosity about the identity of these two women having gotten the better of me. (laughs) What a perv. Uh, Lo and behold, when they emerged from behind the doors of their respective stalls, they turned out to be two of my very own students, both of whom were enrolled in a graduate program designed to promote Jewish culture and the arts. So like all of them. (laughs) Uh, So much for that, I thought to myself. Smiling wanely, I acknowledged my students' presence and then beat a hasty retreat from uh, from them as well as from their uh, uh, perverified embrace of Halloween. Or pervert, perfervid. Never seen that one before. I don't even know what that word is. It's probably just a fake word. They just made it up. It's just Jewish. I, I, guess, uh, <laughs> I guess it's from fervid just means, you know, fiery. Oh, they they if they put their own little Jewish spin on that, huh? Yeah, preferred embrace. This episode, though, stayed with me, prompting me to take a more sustained look at the relationship between contemporary American Jews, like my students, and Halloween's hold on the popular imagination, which has grown by leaps and bounds over the past twenty years. So pronounced is Halloween's presence on the street and in the marketplace that some contemporary observers have characterized it. As it's more of a seasonal phenomenon than a one-day affair. Yeah, just ask Alex McNabb. It's <laughs> a whole month for him. Have American Jews followed suit and, like their neighbors, taken to Halloween with increasing relish? Has trick-or-treating become an accepted ritual within modern-day American Jewish households? Or is it a bone of contention and, like Christmas, more of a dilemma than harmless fun? And what of the past and earlier generations of American Jewish children don costumes and gobble too many sweets? When it comes to marking Halloween, a fragmentation rather than consensus rules the contemporary American Jewish roost. For every American Jew who can't wait for October 31st, there are those who wish it away, turn a blind eye, shrug their shoulders or fly. Some rabbis and educators across the board frown on the practice of trick-or-treating. Others avidly welcome it, while still others prefer to temporize. What you do at home, they say, is your own business. Much of the same could be said of the grassroots. Some American Jews 
celebrations to Goyishizak, a non-Jewish practice that Jews would very well would do very well to avoid. Urge would be celebrants to stay far away, far far away. You know, I want to have I, I want to have fucking you know like white people teaching their children like no, we're not going to participate in that. That's some like Jewish bullshit. I guess there are white people that do that. Us. And I want to encourage the Jews to stay far, far away from anything the Goyim do as well. Yes. And I know we're not supposed please. to call ourselves Goyim. I'm just, I'm just using that as a general. Maybe I should say Gentiles. Yes. Is that a better? Yes. The Gentiles. That's even a cool. The gentle word. Gentiles. Yeah. It is. They put like their sounds fucking, very classy. Put their gross Jewish spin on it and get Goyim. Like what a disgusting word. How how great people. is it that like the greatest uh, philosopher of Italian fascism is Gentile? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just spelled Gentile. <laughs> yeah, Giovanni Gentile is the you know founding philosopher of Mussolini's doctrine of fascism. I love that. I'll never get over that. <laughs> yes, I, I have to read this. Someone says in the chat. Yes, far far away, like Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> Where they dig up the corpses and dance around. Maybe you can incorporate that into your next chair dance. You know, make it a coffin dance. They're probably have a weird with like thing a... to do with that. <laughs> oh no! In in Madagascar, they have this like they dig up coffins and they dance with them. Oh, I've I've heard about this. But I'm talking about the Jews. They probably do have like a weird fucking thing like that where they. Yeah, who knows what they do with dead bodies they make them up for sure but do they dig them up that's the question yeah but they mean, can't because there are no bodies to dig up they dress up in the clothes of the dead or something like i it's just weird shit that they do probably probably uh far far away or better yet to make the most of purim which also affords the opportunity to be someone else and eat lots of candy Others insist that Halloween is good, clean fun, as well as an exercise in neighborliness. So what could be wrong with that? Well, when you treat your neighbors like the Israelis do, then it's uh, quite problematic if yeah, you ask me. Yeah, a big fucking problem there. <laughs> <laughs> Still others maintain that Halloween, seemingly free of domestic <laughs> tensions that attend Christmas or Passover, is a boon to interfaith families. Quote, I think it's that... That's why everybody enjoys this, unquote. Explains a Jewish woman whose spouse is Catholic. In contrast to American Jews today, for whom online discussion about the do's and don'ts of Halloween is as full and varied as trick-or-treaters' collection of loot, earlier generations did not make much of the autumnal holiday. A cursory examination of Jewish children's books in pre- and immediate post-war America, for instance, came up empty. Consider the popular figure of Katantan. I don't know what the fuck that is. Just known as the, fake shit. the <laughs> known as the Jewish Tom Thumb, this mischievous imp of a character was forever getting into and out of all sorts of scraps. Katantan swung a lulav and rode a runaway dreidel and stowed away in a synagogue. <laughs> what Katantan didn't do though was trigger treat. Wait what? a minute. So is this like the Jewish Pecos Bill riding a fucking dreidel and <laughs> 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 these motherfuckers? He's you know? a uh, Pesach chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for people who run Hollywood and and you know run the whole entertainment industry, they really don't have a lot of imagination, do they? 
Or maybe that should be obvious because of what's coming out of Hollywood now. But still, Jesus. Yeah, they're just taking Love our it. ideas. Like, that's just Pecos Bill. He wrote a fucking dreidel. Well, Pecos Bill was cooler, as all of the Goya shit is. Yeah. He wrote he, a fucking tornado. Exactly. And he, like, he lassoing tornadoes and shit. Like, fucking Jews, what are they, lasso dollar bills or something? <laughs> Yeah, lassoing pennies off the street. <laughs> so a lulav is a uh, a fond of the date palm tree. Or a front. So just a, a shoot off of a date palm tree. Jewish parenting literature, a growth industry in post-war America, as the research of historian Joshua Furman vividly demonstrates, didn't have much to say about Halloween either. Its concern focused almost entirely on meeting the challenges of Christmas, and conversely on how to render Purim, Passover, and Hanukkah appealing to American-born Jewish kids. Halloween didn't even merit a howdy-do. It's, uh, not, it's not that October 31st was no big deal back in the day, although costumes tended to be homemade rather than store-bought, and candy options far more limited than they are nowadays. Newspaper accounts as well as articles uh, in women's magazines suggest that it was a lively and well-received occasion. All the more once UNICEF and child psychiatrists Halloween observed uh, the New York Times in 1960 provides a healthy escape from a year-round repressions and is especially valuable to children whose lives are excessively ordered and controlled. What the hell? Why would they put it that way? I don't know, but but it it is notable that um, post-war all these like efforts to you know cohesivize and and solidarize. I, I'm not. I know I'm I'm really fucking those words up, but you get the idea. Um, uh, the Jewish community, like literally, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't cite it. But the same woman who is writing these children's books about you know, uh, uh, little little Johnny Bear has two dads and. Uh, Families can be anything, and boys can wear girls' dresses. She also writes children's books for Jews about specifically like how they must follow their traditions and build traditional families. It's, I mean, it's it's insidious, and it's just right there in front of your face. Yeah, how great it is to keep kosher. How great it is to keep kosher. How great it is to to honor Hanukkah and Purim and and do your Yom Kippur bullshit. And yet, at the same time, anybody Sally can be part of a family. Yes. Sally eats the bugs. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I swear to God. You're going to get the picture book eating the bugs. Oh, God, in the chat, lassoing foreskins. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh, a welcome, if temporary, release from parental strictures. The Halloween of yesteryear was not seen by American Jews as a threat. Rather, the stuff of uh, cultural anxiety or the stuff is of cultural anxiety. Rather, it was understood as just one of those things that suburban American kids did, regardless of their ethnic and religious background, an innocent pastime, a totem of childhood. Besides, many Jewish parents in post-war America often adopted a live-and-let-live attitude towards the elements <clears throat> of American popular culture, such as Halloween, that seemed to be benign or at the very least not worth fighting about. What changed in the interim? A number of things, from the increasingly auteur nature of Halloween to the Jewish communities tilt to the right. Once associated almost entirely with kids, Halloween became the darling of the adult gay community. <laughs> oh my god. 
whose annual parade in Greenwich Village, a product of the early 1970s, gave new meaning to the shape-shifting and boundary crossing. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like they're admitting it in the open. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, oh, shape-shifting and boundary crossing. <laughs> Tell me more. Oh, my God. Reveling in its disdain for the respectability uh, this urban festival, writes anthropologist Jack Kugelmas, quote, celebrates the irreverent and the le- uh, lascivious. Halloween's popularity within the gay community, he speculates, might even be seen as a, quote, implicit rejection. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you can't talk about the gay community being implicit. Implicit oh. rejection of a collective self uh, prescribed within the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm. You know, can, can I just take a moment? I, I just want to talk about how both the gay community and perverts in general, other perverts, uh, have have ruined Halloween. Now, to me, for for kids, Halloween is you know you dress up, you do the trick or treating. It's very wholesome. It's it's an American tradition um, in that sense. Uh, and then for adults, you know, if, if you're having an adults only party. The idea is you're supposed to dress up as like something scary, right? It's not to dress up like just anything that you see in the movies or where it's really gotten ruined is fucking women because women ruin everything, of course. But everything has to be – here's their costume, but it's also a sexy version of it. And it gets so retarded that it's like sexy tree. Dress as a sexy tree. Dress as a – you know, a, what the fuck? Why does everything have to be sexualized and degenerate or – some commercialized bullshit dressed as a superhero for Halloween. No, the whole idea is something spooky and scary, right? Yeah. I mean, in that sense, I guess dressing as a Jew would be appropriate (laughs) for Halloween, but but you get the idea. And and it's just, why does it, why is it expanded into something so horrible? And then like with the gays, of course, I mean, I'm sure they just put on their standard, you know, butt plug and assless chaps or whatever. And that's their costume. But what the fuck? Well, they also do it to things that are like explicitly, not sexy that aren't like meant to be sexy like you have like nuns and shit like nun costumes and stuff like that like what oh that sexy inanimate objects i mean it's ridiculous or or yeah it's it's blasphemous like sexy nun of course but yeah i um i I won't lie to you guys i i've enjoyed the uh my encounters with the women at halloween parties over the years um, but, uh, at, at the end of the day, it is, um, it is gone too far. Um, and it, it's gone to the point where it's, you know, not just, uh, a little bit of, um, you know, a, a chance for like a intimate, but maybe not fully sexual encounter, but, uh, it, it's way past that point. I mean, it's, it's a, a vehicle for debauchery. For mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of adults, which is a shame that you know people can't have a, a healthy sense of moderation in that regard. But you know this country isn't about moderation; it's about perverse excess. 150 years ago, I, you couldn't get a woman to step out of the house in like some of the outfits these fucking whores are wearing today. And why are yep. they? But why are they? Why are they doing that? Because it's put out there. These like this is what like cool like women and like do this is what free women do dress like sluts mm. you get clout for it yep yeah 
whether it's social media or real life, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, and I'm like, you know, there is sexiness. There is wholesome sexiness. You know, yes. like, a, like a girl in the journal. You know, um, I, we don't have to go down this route. I'm sorry. I just, I just, that was just a pet peeve of mine. That we can go down this route. Ha- <laughs> well, we just, they have to. <laughs> Ooh, let's talk about sex to women. No, it's just every everything wholesome, everything good has to be either perverted or turned political, and it's just enough with it. Enough. If you if you wonder why people want to sometimes shove other people into ovens, not that that ever happened, it's because of that. We just it's it's not the, the it's not even the the gross violations and and transgressions that these people commit. It's the small things like this. It's ruining a holiday for my children it's ruining it's it's ruining you know even an adult party by just you know just by you just showing up (laughs) you know you just showing up makes me want to shove you into a metaphorical oven but yeah sorry uh the jews would be like sorry to derail you there they'd be like oh ruining the holiday don't you mean just livening it up making it more free it's like, I want to uh, put you I'll... in a fucking oubliette, Kike. <laughs> yes, to the oubliette with you. Yes. Uh, I'll reread this, this sentence here because I think it's important. Halloween's popularity within the gay community, he speculates, might be seen as, quote, an implicit rejection of a collective self-prescribed within the Judeo-Christian tradition, unquote. A self without encumbrances. Halloween had lost its innocence. Uh... Concomitantly, American Jewry's changing landscape also had a great deal to do with the community shift in perspective towards Halloween. The growing <clears throat> prominence and newfound assertiveness of orthodoxy and with it, the hardening of cultural boundaries rendered the holiday more and more suspect out of bounds. Before long, even non-orthodox communities began to grapple actively and publicly with Halloween's shortcomings. As one concerned American Jewish woman told a reporter from the Detroit Jewish News in 1990, quote, it's not our mission to respond to the Gentile calendar. Damn it, that dude, may like, be. at the same time, it's, like, not our, it's not our, like, thing to respond to, like, Jewish complaining all the time. Yeah, you know, as much as they uh, want to, to be a people who will dwell apart, uh, this is something that still affects our life. Their calendar comes into our calendar. We have all these f- holidays that affect, you know, uh, when banks and schools are open in this country, and nothing's done about that. They they don't think that's a you know becoming too close to the Gentile way of life. No, they're fine on imposing that upon us, but. Any imposition upon them is a bridge too far. Uh, Last paragraph says here, that may be. Even so, come October 31st, thousands of American Jewish children, their parents in tow, or sitting in an idling car, will happily spread their wings and dash about in the cool of an autumn evening. What should we tell them? Boo? Boo Boo-hoo, Jew. Yeah, fucking cry me a river. Yeah. Dear God. Oh, I don't think I like these people very much. I think that... I don't think I trust them. I think they're bad for society. Took the words right out of my mouth. 
So it says, uh, Jenna Weissman Joslip, uh, the Charles E. Smith Professor of Judaic Studies and the Professor of History at the George Washington University, is the author of Set in Stone, America's Embrace of the Ten Commandments, now in paperback. Not going to read that one. No. <laughs> Just going to go ahead and put that put that in the... Leave uh, that on the shelf. Filing cabinet of shit I'm never going to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck God. that. You know, anytime you hear, uh, like, like any, I mean, and this is maybe a basic point, but Judaic studies, Afro studies, it's like, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's nonsense. Like, literally, even after we win in the ethno state, we're not going to have professors of European white studies. It's just going to be professors of history, professors of philosophy. We, you know, we don't have to label it with this bullshit because it's made up. Judaic you studies, know, do have, studies. What? We have American studies. And you you go into that and all of it's just like libtard uh, Zen history bullshit. And if you think that's new, I, when I was in college, um, like as just a, as a gimme course, like my sophomore year, I took some kind of like American studies class, like, a you know, like just a 200 level. You, and all it was was. And, and this goes back to the early 90s. It was like, like uh, oh, here's the history of – here's what blacks did uh, post-Civil War. Here's ragtime music and how blacks helped create it. Here's jazz. It's all blacks. And here's why the hippies were right in the 60s. And it's literally all – it was just basically laying the groundwork for the, the future you know, takeover of the universities. Not that they weren't already like solidly in their in their corner at that point. Because there were women's studies classes even in the 90s, in the early 90s, and stuff like that. But this was a, a southern, a, a state university in a southern state. And yeah, so yeah, American studies, yeah, miss me with that bullshit. Thank you. Yeah, America's gay. I don't really want to learn about American history. It's like even whenever you like <laughs> no look, care. whenever you look, look at like the Civil War is the most interesting thing. And you find yourself just wanting to learn about the Confederates. You're like, fuck the Union. Yeah, and you guys say that as Yankees. I mean, that's just yeah. amazing to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like I've lived uh, I've like lived in the North my whole life in the North. But uh, yeah, no, it's gay as fuck, dude. Would have would have been. Nah, it's hard to say, but now it does suck. I say. But what? Uh, okay. Do you, what are we doing next, bud? What do you want to do next? Uh, well, if you want to go, um, if you if y'all want to ask me anything about Charlottesville, um, if. And we have something from the captain of the Black Pill Longboat. So, whichever y'all, good. Do you want to tell us about the the Longboat Man, the Boatman? Yes, the Boatman. He. This is something that actually, because uh, this is from our European co correspondent, um, because he's got his ear to the ground over there. Uh, he's been warning us about this for a while. Well, far from it, really, if you think about it. <laughs> That's very good point. <laughs> My ear is much closer to the ground than, than our European correspondent. That's um, so I'm going to read from this. I haven't actually read this yet, um, and my apologies to our European correspondent for that. Uh, but like I said, I've, been, I've just been uh, working my ass to the bone this week. Um, I actually had to pass up going on Mark Collette's show last night, but thankfully the trial will last four weeks. And hopefully I'll hook up with him and talk to his listeners about what's going on with Charlottesville because that needs to be talked about constantly. It's not getting coverage from the alt-light. It's certainly not getting 
uh, coverage from the uh, conservative press. And, yeah, you know, and you can just guess how The New York Times and, and so on and the Huffington Post types are covering the Charlottesville. But we'll get to that later. The ongoing European energy crisis, um, perhaps not widely reported to our American listeners, is the ongoing crisis in Europe. However, it is an absolutely a topic of interest as its consequences will have global ramifications. And I'm always, by the way, just separately, I'm always hesitant about, you know, uh, and hero hedge type predictions about you know the coming crisis the coming shortage things like that but we have actually seen i only trust of, when borzoi says it right right but we have seen you know you Doom can see spaghetti. the actual pictures of the um all the shipping containers and all the ports you know we've seen the empty shelves we've seen 354 dollar a gallon gas so this carries a lot of credibility so this is not just doomsaying and we're going to predict um, one, or we're going to print 300 out of the next two collapses or anything like that. This is actually something we really do need to pay attention to. So due to an increase, uh, increasing shift towards green en- energy, a wonderful summer and plain old incompetence, Europe's, uh, Europeans are in dire straits with words like quintuple and sextuple now used to describe electric and natural gas prices for most of Europe. And it's going to get worse. Holy Other God. energy commodities like oil and coal, oil and coal are also rising precipitously as they desperately as the desperate content continent reaches for any potential power source to save its hunger. So what is the cause of this rapid surge in prices? There are several reasons. One is, of course, renewable energy, more like return to nature. By far the main culprit of the energy crisis is the bad policy decisions made ostensibly to combat climate change. All around Europe, initiatives and government strategies with fancy titles like carbon neutral by 2035 or fossil free by 2050 have been enacted and they invariably replace reliable and cheap energy sources like coal oil and nuclear with unreliable and more expensive energy sources like onshore and offshore wind solar and biofuels additionally there are questionable green gimmicks and attempts at greenwashing by power companies that have led to increased electric consumption For example, by a forced transition to electric cars or in the case of Norway, putting hydroelectric energy cables from the mainland to power offshore oil platforms so oil can be extracted in, quote unquote, greener ways. As a crowning example, Germany's – yeah, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word. Um, The the translation is energy turnaround – has shut down Germany's nuclear power plants, once responsible for 25 percent of their total electricity production, and replaced them with fucking windmills and energy imported from other countries. As a result, Europe is at the mercy of elements uh, at the mercy of the elements when it comes to keeping the lights on. <clears throat> Another culprit um, in this whole thing is the summer, because 2021 was a spectacular summer for most European countries, with plenty of sunshine and very little wind. Res- reservoirs remained drier than usual, and windmills stood absolutely still for most of the season. During research for this piece, the phrase "no wind in Germany" was encountered over a hundred times, and that's not an exaggeration. This led to an overreliance on power reserves, which are usually required for colder times. That actually makes sense. You don't get a lot of wind during the summer. You don't get to store up energy from that, right? <clears throat> Geopolitics also has its share of the blame. Normally um, uh, reliant on Russia for 50 percent of its natural gas, Europe is suddenly finding these imports dwindling as Russia is experiencing some well-timed technical issues with oil pipelines. Though this has some chance of being uh, – accurate though this has uh, the actual okay there is that element to it but the more obvious ploy here is an attempt by russia to leverage their gas for political concessions 
that makes sense. Okay, so what what he's saying there is, normally um, Europe gets fifty percent of its uh, energy from uh, or fifty percent of its natural gas from Russia, and Russia is saying, oh well, we can't quite deliver as much as we normally do. We can't give you that fifty percent because we're having technical issues. But in reality, they're just going to use that for at the bargaining table on other political issues with EU, with uh, NATO, etc. Yeah, like they'll be able to just those uh, those issues will just kind of disappear, you know, at the bargaining table. If yeah. certain, yeah. And oh, 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 yeah. And if and if we get our way, oh, you know what? We solved that problem. We can get you some more natural gas later, but just and, not now. And they do, and they can get by. And you said this is the they're facing quintuple or sextuple. They're the prices they're paying. Yes. Holy. Yeah, fuck. five to six times what they're paying. I mean, so basically, imagine. I don't know if this translates to the the price of the pump, but it, I guess. Imagine paying five times your electric bill. Oh my god! Your gas dude. bill. Uh, five times your. Uh, let, let's just scale it down. Say four times what the price of the gas is now. Sixteen dollars a gallon. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Makes Europe like, Jeez. um, like almost impossible to live in. You know what I mean? If you're living, you just have to take paycheck. the uh, public transit if you can. I mean, God help you if you live in a rural part of Europe. I mean. Yep. You have to think of all the gas you have to burn just to buy more gas. Get to a station if you're, you know. No shit, it's like a the, losing proposition. One of the people I know lives in like a, you know, remote part of Finland. Uh, just getting to a gas station is uh, a long affair for him. Then you have to pay to drive back the gas that you've, uh, you know, just purchased. Yeah, you, right. you, have, I mean, you have to. You just like, gotta operate off of quarter tanks. Like you get to a quarter tank, guys, you better just go to the gas station because you're gonna run out of gas if it gets much lower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- there's the whole issue of the cap and trade uh, schemes that they've been, you know, passing off in Europe. That's also killing the backup, um, you know, the, the energy reserves and that sort of thing. And then, you know, the obvious is that winter is coming, and if you've ever uh, spent time in uh, northern Europe, you know how brutal the winters can be there. Um, there's a reason you hear about like when the uh, you know the the 20 year heat wave, uh, like the the 20 year effect heat wave, like the, the rare heat waves that they get in like France or or Germany, that people actually you know old people end up dying. It's because like the the, the summers are moderate and the winters are brutal, so air conditioning is almost unheard of in much of northern Europe. Um, this particular winter is predicted to be pretty goddamn cold. Um, he says for uh, for most northern countries, energy usage is in the winter is 35 to 45 percent higher than in summer. In addition to this, more still winds, more lack of wind, I, I, to be clear, frozen water and hydroelectric dams and continued dearth of natural gas means a perfect storm where the European energy system has reduced input, higher output and zero reserves. The depth of the crisis will in large part be determined by how severe the winter of 2021 turns out to be. Maybe the winter will be mild, despite the predictions, and the wind will blow in a firm, sustainable way, in which case everything will normalize. Or perhaps the wind will be hard. The wind will be the winter will be harsh and the, the winds will be still. If so, God help Europe if it is so cold, because the government certainly won't. A sentiment best. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm. I don't know why I'm breaking down my usual ability to read. A sentiment perhaps best expressed by the time of release of the German government's ominous How to Stay Warm in Winter video, 
which mm. it's like their return to monkey trying to I'm remind think- you of, that just because your thermostat's not working because there's no uh, heating oil or natural gas or whatever or electric heat here's other ways wrap yourself in multiple blankets you know it's uh, wow we're definitely digressing as a society at that point sorry you were going to say I- something Malmo Sweden comes to mind, and all I'm thinking is cryonic nigger death. <laughs> that is maybe one possible good outcome of this. <clears throat> I know that a lot of those refugees have complained about the winters, and if they can't, you know, if they don't have the ability to stay warm indoors, maybe they'll go back to where they where, where they. It's a lot warmer in south. Somalia, dipshit. <laughs> maybe you should fucking go back now. This has all been about Europe, but here's why we over here on this side of the pond should be concerned. The interconfuctedness of all things. In an increasingly global world, local problems can quickly become global problems. That's Yeah. Because of the electrical infrastructure built to balance the load of the electrical grid, peripheral power producing countries like Norway, Russia, and much of northern Africa are being pulled headlong into continental Europe's power vacuum. And as previously mentioned, the global price on every energy resource is also rising, which has had a dire consequence for China, the world's factory, whose attempts to balance a post-COVID recovery surge of energy demand with a higher energy price has led to rolling blackouts for weeks now. And this problem is expected to spread as strong economies seek to acquire the electricity of the weak ones, manifesting itself in myriad ways. Electricity is, after all, the lifeblood of an industrial society. And because of this crisis, it is a process of running – it is in the process of running out all over the world. This in turn means that fewer and fewer goods and services can be produced at a profit, which under capitalism means they will not be produced at all. Thus, the ongoing crisis is going to affect people not only directly in the form of increased energy prices, but also indirectly with price increases on every consumer product and most services. If this crisis remains unresolved, the world is facing a massive price increase on products, hyperinflation, a global recession, and dare I say it, collapse normally in if we were normies we'd be like oh this is terrible this is gonna uh, hurt the economy and i won't be able to buy my kids the choo-choo train for christmas i kind of look at the bright side of this which is you know the collapse of uh the consumerist capitalistic society but i i you know i think that there's both obviously things that we have to worry about, and this is like one of the missing ingredients in what, what we call why America. We have the degeneracy. We have the Zog control. The one thing they've been able to, to do is to maintain the uh, – keeping the public keep, – keeping the populace sedated with, oh, here's your Netflix. Here's your products. Here's your cheap goods. Here's all this. Once that goes away and once your money is not worth what it was what it was before, isn't that a good recipe for us? Isn't that what we kind of would like to see happen? Yes. Am, or well, am I reading that wrong? It's a, it's a good time to have a network, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And I do want to actually add into – obviously this was very well researched, but I think there's other issues at play, which is um, this is going to affect – Zog's control of Europe because at some point Europe may get desperate enough that they say fuck what America wants fuck what Israel wants we are going to buy oil from Iran yes and meanwhile Iran's going to be like well 
the Chinese have been pretty goddamn good to us compared to Europe, so you'll get our second hand. You know, uh, I I just see this is really going to disrupt the global stability, which I obviously am a fan of. Now, it's I'm not going to say that it's not going to hurt in the short term and people need to be prepared. Be prepared. And like like Nikkei said, have that parallel society be part of something, a network that's bigger than you so that when things get really tough, you have people you can rely on. But this could be the, the, the missing ingredient in a repeat of the 1920s. In a small country in central northern Europe, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Sounds like a, what do you guys think? Sounds like a good time. <laughs> Conditions, I mean, for a repeat of that. Yeah, and this is serious. Again, I want to stress that this is not um, hair, hair on fire alarmism from somebody who does not know how these things work. This is actually pretty well researched um, and, you know, it's it's on the ground stuff and it's things that we actually see evidence of. It's not hyperbole. It's not in a hero hedge, like I said. This is something that's very real and is going to unfold. Yeah, there's a reason I mean, already, why, there's a reason why sorry, it's not talked about in the, that, like, we're not really hearing a whole lot about it here in America. I never heard, I never heard anything about this. I mean, I've, I've seen well, it around, like, a chat. You, you, what, what you've seen is, like, um, um, I don't want to personalize this to the Democrats or anything, but Biden's press secretary, Jim Psaki, talking about lowering expectations. You've seen at this point. I, I oh, think yeah. It's yeah. What the, the fuck the is New that York, about? The, uh, the, the New York Times uh, article saying, like, you know, the scarcity is really just because we're uh, too needy. Yeah, but right. it's like, needy. Dude, I was going to say, Nigga, I'm a human being. <laughs> they're, they're literally trying to prepare, prepare, but very subtly and by shaming people, not saying, Oh, because of all these fucked up policies, this is why this is happening. And because people will be like, well, fuck those policies. Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of all this green energy bullshit or cap and trade or whatever. Uh, let's let's buy oil from whoever's going to sell it to us at the cheapest price, like Iran. No, instead, or, or let's buy it from Russia without any sanctions or anything. But instead, they're like planting this idea of, hey, you know. The Soviet bread lines weren't so bad, and in fact, they helped build communities. Or, hey, you know, empty shelves, that's probably a good thing, and, and it's okay that you're not going to be able to buy your kids what you want for Christmas. They're, they're, they're prepping people to have the mindset of, yes, I'm frustrated, but it's okay. I'm too privileged. I'm, I'm too spoiled, which also not a wrong thought, but it's in the wrong context. It's, it's being used as propaganda rather than uh, to reform people's consumers greedy mammon worshiping ways yeah it's like what the fuck did it's like oh your expectations are just too high it's like society's operated like this for fucking like forever here like we haven't had these issues before so like what the fuck are you people doing to like make the things like be this way do you know what i mean mm-hmm. well the, I, I remember reading for the first and just being shocked that germany was taking um or god damn it I'm, i don't want to lie here i think it was germany I don't think it was France, because I think France still has nuclear power, but Germany took its last nuclear reactor offline. I'm like, why are you doing this? This is, I mean, that was literally clean energy for you. I guess they had, like, uh, too many high hopes on uh, Nord Stream 2. Too efficient. (laughs) With that uh, Russian uh, natural gas. Yeah, it's just too efficient. You know what I mean? Can't have this around. Well, we got about 23 minutes left before we have to get out of here. Um, anything else on this topic from the captain of the Black Pill Longboat? 
What more? Can I don't you have say? anything else. But bundle up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be cool. Well, I mean, you're the descendants of people who survived the ice ages. You know, get in touch with you know, re- return to tradition, reject modernity. Yeah. Um. I think I by and I... large, European Sorry, people are going to be uh, are going to handle this pretty well. The people who will struggle the most uh, that I care about are poor whites and you know the elderly in Europe. But if they have a network around them that can care for them, they'll be just fine. Yeah, I don't think that they're as far along here in America either with the uh, you know like just atomization or shit like that. I think that. I don't know. I don't want to say like they'll be fine because it's fucking bullshit if it's even happening. You know what I well, mean? Well, my caveat there was if they have a network, they'll they'll be fine. If they don't, right. they're going to be in some real dire straits. <laughs> and I all I can do is pray for them that you know they uh, they are able to you know find a way to pull through. But it's it's going to be challenging uh, for a lot of people, and hopefully uh, a good number of uh, honest white folks over there are. Uh, in a position to meet those challenges uh, head on. I can almost imagine, though, that like in the most cucked governments over there, like Germany or Sweden, that when the emergencies come, the the first thought and the first instinct of the governments there will be, how do we protect the most vulnerable, i.e. not our people, but all these fucking brown immigrants from the global south? Oh, dude. Well, yeah, how this new workforce we've imported... That's, yeah. like a, that's like a perfect segue, what you just said, into a story that um, I had pulled up here. It's not very... Sure. Not super long. Let's do it. Yeah, we have a new answer in America on the table. Yeah, so the Biden administration is considering giving $450,000 per person to immigrants separated at the border. Um, so the Biden administration could pay up pay out up to $1 billion to immigrant families that were separated at the U.S.-Mexico border during the Trump administration. According to the Wall Street Journal, the United States Department of Justice, Homeland Security, Health and Human Services could end up paying out close to $1 million per immigrant family that were separated at the border. Discussions of payouts have taken place over the past few months between lawyers representing immigrant families that are suing the federal government and the government's own lawyers. According to the Wall Street Journal, some gov- listen. Some government lawyers apparently view the four hundred and fifty thousand dollars per person as excessive. Some, oh, you think it could be a little excessive, bro? They're talking about turning these people into like almost fucking millionaires. These like people who have fucking nothing, that like they just bring their shitty self up to the board, like up to America to try to like take jobs and shit that could go to our people. They're just gonna like give them. $450,000 we're talking about? Are you fucking serious? Margot Schlanger, DHS of- official f- officer for civil rights and civil liberties during the Obama administration, said that damaged class actions in this kind of case are pretty rare. It's hard to think of a recent comparison. Can you guys think of anything like this that's ever happened? I certainly fucking cannot. Hmm. I'm just, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm steaming sitting here thinking about how during, you know, as soon as they could, they cut off the, that bonus $300 uh, per week uh, unemployment. Yeah, so they could force the, a fucking mandate. Down. Yeah, so they could force a mandate because they were, because business owners were complaining that people wouldn't take their shitty $7 an hour job. And uh, as far as the stimulus they, uh, and, and uh, the extra child care tax credit this year, 
the hang up was we need to make sure that it's only up applicable to married couples where each spouse earns no more than 30,000. Because if you if you have two people married and they each earn 30,000 or one person earning, you know, uh, if, if only the husband works, and he makes 60,000. That, that's that's rich, basically. You know, anything above that, you know, it's just like they go through hoops. They will fucking climb across across glass on their lips to avoid paying their own people, helping out their own people in oh. any way possible, despite the all the obstacles they put in front of us. Because God knows we don't, you know, the solution to low birth rates is not to provide uh, fathers with paternity leave. It's not to provide additional child tax credits. It's not to provide more maternity leave. It's not to incentivize women to have children the way the National Socialists did with giving them a, a loan and then knocking off 25000 for every ch child that they have. No, it's to import more brown people who will do these shitty jobs for $7 an hour. So all of a sudden, it's just absolutely no problem to find $450,000 to give to every goddamn Squatamalan whose uh, – the child they were trafficking was taken away from them at the border when they were trying to cross it illegally. Fuck these people! Oh, dude, listen to this. The ACLU is representing multiple families in a lawsuit over the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy. In January, it issued a statement urging the incoming Biden administration to act quickly on the issue. Listen to what the ACLU says here. This is about non-citizens, people that aren't fucking, they're not citizens. The incoming administration must reunite the separated families. This is, they must reunite the separated families in the U.S., but we cannot stop there. These families deserve citizenship, resources, care, and a commitment that family separation will never happen again. So more. How about never you get again, none of it? You shouldn't get any of it. How about you get none of it? How about you get your ass and go back to wherever the fuck you came from? Since assuming office, you should get. So go ahead. No, you should get. Uh, you should get like sewn into a bed in the sheets and beaten with a fucking frozen garden hose. <laughs> That's what you should get. Frozen garden hose. You're gonna do like the old like, soap we, and sock. We couldn't find the fucking money to actually build a real goddamn wall on that border and you're telling me you want to like give hundreds of thousands of dollars to people who were uh inconvenienced by the the fact that they were arrested for committing a crime yeah and, and the whole family separation thing let's just really emphasize this it was it was uh portrayed as some kind of punishment some kind of inhuman punishment for separate children from their parents well the parents were going to jail because they were committing a crime. They were putting put in holding facilities. And the actually merciful, compassionate thing to do would be to take the children and put them up, you know, somewhere, you know, nicer and comfortable until the whole issue was sorted out and they were returned where they belong. The the alternative to family separation in that case was to put the children in jail. Is that what you want? No, yeah. of course not. You just want them released into the wild and plop down in Madison, Wisconsin, or you know, Bumblefuck, Indiana. You want to drop them wherever there's the highest concentration of white people, just to fuck us over, just to fuck us over. Yeah, and like it, it's just a hundred percent to just fuck us over, and it's, it just so happens that like this is going on. At, while like people, well, there's no one here to work the jobs that we have in America. Oh yeah, yeah. So, this is um, why I fucking hate conservatives more and more. And on the one hand, because of my libertarian conservative priors, 
and and the and the very fact that I, I I like enterprising people, I do respect small business owners who do it right. But I'm increasingly looking at business owners who are like, well, I just want the cheapest labor. And I'm not even talking about the the, the soulless corporations like Amazon. I expect that from them. But the small business owners who are like, well, I, if I can't get somebody to to do this job for seven fifty, well, I don't even know what the minimum wage is now. Um, for seven fifty, seven twenty five an hour, then I can't. You know, I'll just go out of business. No, you might ha- not be able to buy that second boat or that jet ski, but you'll be able to like actually help your community out. You'll be building a better community. You'll be helping out a family. They'll be helping you out. They'll be you know creating loyalty. There's a reason that we hear from our grandfathers about how they would take a job and work for the same company their entire life. I'm not saying that you know this is. I'm not going for some idealized nostalgia, but those things did happen in the in in the past. And like, dude, think about people. Yes, I got it. Usually union jobs. Saying like, think about this. Like, if you mentioned like and they like. The only reason people will ever do anything now is just for profit. Like, it's it's totally, it's inconceivable for people to, like, want to do things for, like, the good of their community or the good of, like, their country. You know what I mean? Now it's all about if I can't make this, then, like, you know, X amount of people can starve. Like, I don't give a shit about anybody unless, like, I can make a fucking dollar from it. Right. Well, it, it, I just, I want to, I want to take these people and say, you know, that's a nice story you have there about how you're not going to be able to do business. Now, please face the wall. And it's like the Adam because they at, I'm sorry, they have to face. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say because a country is more than a goddamn economy. We are not an open. We're not supposed to be an open air shopping mall. Well, the atomization that's gone on over like the past decades, like it, it plays right in. To, to like capitalism just like running the fucking roost here because we we look at ourselves like we are just one person well if it doesn't help like if it if it's not beneficial for me then why the fuck should I do it that like is that is like the the mindset behind the capitalist and I, I, don't, I don't actually somebody brings this up in the chat uh, going back to the family separation thing um it, it's probably a basic bitch talking point but it needs to be said uh, we don't complain about family separation when someone is convicted of a crime and goes to jail. If someone commits murder or armed robbery or any other thing that black people do <laughs> primarily, um, no one complains about family separation then, do they? No. You don't worry about keeping families together when you have a serial killer or uh, somebody who sticks up a, a bank or a gas station. And what no, about th- we put that fucker in jail. And what about this, Spectre? Like, I'm at, like, family separation? You don't think that the fucking family courts in America <clears throat> wouldn't rip your children away from you if you were, like, anti-vax? Like, if you... If they, if they, they do that. that. You were, like, they a fucking... That. They'll, they'll a white do that. Supremacist? You give your kid a... There was a kid taken away... Well, I think this was Britain, but still. There was a kid taken away from his parents because he was... Uh, the kid was named Adolf. Yeah, it's just fucking bullshit. They were our, they were our people. They don't yeah. give a shit about they'll fucking t- fam- they'll, they'll separate you. Yeah, they'll separate you from your family in a heartbeat if they come up with a good excuse. And you ain't getting a $450,000 check, my friend. No, you can, You actually might get a fucking fine to pay. You might have to pay the fucking government. So, I, I there's not really a whole lot left here in this uh, article. I guess we have like a, a couple minutes. We could laugh about fucking uh, Yoja. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> okay. What? I'm embarrassed to say because I've been so hit deep in the Charlottesville trial, and I'm, I'm sometimes a, a bit of a boomer when it comes to memes. I saw you talk about Yoja last night. I had no idea what you were talking about. The year of well, failed it's last uh, year. a different trial oh. going on. <laughs> 
Well, dude, he's just a fucking menace. Yeah, he he has kind of been a a public menace on his live streams. He's, like, been belligerent with just strangers on the street. Elderly. Yeah, the amount of times he's deployed um, pepper spray into, uh, into people's faces is well beyond the average for any human, you know, that walks around in a urban setting. Um, so it, let me, uh, state here that he deserves no criminal punishment for anything that he did related to January 6th. Agreed. Uh, that, that was not a crime and, uh, deserves no punishment. Absolutely. Being a public nuisance. Okay. Maybe you earned a couple months in nothing like severe. I don't want the guy like locked for life, but yeah, you kind of, you're kind of a fucking public asshole. And, uh, Getting a couple months in jail is kind of what you deserve for your just generally shitty behavior. And you'll get out, and hopefully you get your head uh, twisted on straight again, and you stop fucking doing that. I mean, these are criminal behaviors, and you get jail time for that. That's just how that works. Honestly, dude, the one—I I don't really have a whole lot to say on it. There was just one live stream he did that I remember that I was just like, this fucking guy is the biggest piece of shit. Um, that there ever that like ever existed. He's like fucking harassing some like elderly white woman. Like I mean, this like old woman trying to go into the stores, like asking him to leave her alone and shit. And he just won't. He's like, "Go oh, give me a hug," and like, dude, just being a fucking piece of garbage. So that's that. And uh, but yeah, I mean, he should, like he's not in trouble for January six stuff. I mean, yeah, this is like he's like what we're talking about here is not um. It's not January 6th stuff. The dude is just a fucking piece of shit, like grifter scumbag. Yeah. Puts a different, he's, like he's, a, he's, a mask on for like every other, like. Yeah, every, every sentiment that I have about him is totally like divorced from politics, even though I, I think, you know, he's, he was generally like late in the game, Trump tarting. Um, he doesn't have any political stances. Like he doesn't deserve jail for that. Uh, he deserves jail for like harassing innocent people. Well, I, I'm actually of the opinion that any white man who does rap songs and auto tunes um, goes to, should go to jail anyway. Yeah. So I'm pleased. I'm pleased just with that alone. He should have been I'm put sorry, in prison I just, for I, I am love so our old cops. school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am so old school that uh, I. Remember when, like in college, when like you'd occasionally see a white guy who was like into rap, and you'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with this guy?" And I know Larry, you're a different generation, and I've come to appreciate certain, uh, you know, some old school rap or whatever. But it's just, it's still to this day, you know, it's like the hackles on my back just go up, or the hairs on my whatever the hell the expression is. Hackles. Every time I see a white guy uh, rapping, it's just stop, you know. Hey man, you came of didn't you come of age with like fucking vanilla ice? Yes, but even then it was like it was like he was a joke, you know. Yeah. Like he was never taken seriously, at least by white people in in my circles. Well, no, it's because white it people like, back then were serious people, <laughs> like in the late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Well, I, I I definitely remember um, it, as a I know Dennis Miller, probably a Jew, I think. Good. Uh, the comedian Dennis Miller. I mean, the Miller name kind of makes me suspect, but he's not. He, his humor is not necessarily Jewish. He's he's like a fucking neocon now. Yeah, I know a lot of but, Millers um, that aren't. 
But back when he was hosting Saturday Night Live, they had Vanilla Ice on, and um, the, the controversy had just erupted that it sounded like he sampled his uh, the, the the line from uh, Ice Ice Baby to or that was the name of the song Ice Ice Baby, whatever. Uh, he had sampled it from Queen's uh, Under Pressure. Well, yeah, he, and 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 so Vanilla Ice like performed. That. It was the sample. It was, but but it was like at the time it was like just being alleged, and you know this is all pre-computer age and all that. And uh, they had him. Vanilla Ice was on Saturday Night Live, and they, you know, he did his set. And immediately they came back from commercial to uh, the the news segment, and Dennis Miller opens it up playing "Under Pressure" by Queen. <laughs> and I'm like, so that was like, yeah. So even then, pe- white people weren't taking uh, white rappers seriously. So again, I know I'm showing my age and my my distaste for for anything uh, ghetto, but still. Spectre was. 35 years old when Vanilla Ice came out with his hit single Ice Ice Baby. I'm gonna, oh my God, I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna see you next weekend. We're getting together next weekend, and it's going to be a rumble. It's gonna be um, a I'm rumble. not gonna fight you, obviously. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bring a couple of guys with me and, and have them sick them on you. That's be, what's gonna happen. Well, now, now would be the time to do it. I'm all, I'm all frail and sick. It would be the time to, to take me out. It's the only time I could take you down. Yeah, I'm done for. David versus COVID Goliath. COVID Goliath. <laughs> hey, I'm off quarantine today, so I'm allowed to go out nice. and about. Yeah, I'm going to go get a chili I'm dog, dude. Feeling better, brother. I'm not. So I'm not the, feeling any better. The, the last few days of your life before uh, you pass away. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, too. Did you guys hear that I'm dead, apparently? <laughs> not yet, but, you know, it's it's fast approaching What with the coronavirus and everything. No, no, like some... Like a... I don't know if you saw that or not in the one... I know, I did. (laughs) Some asshole like that I was dead. What the fuck is... It's like the shittiest thing you can do. Somebody made a thread saying, you know, sad to hear about the passing of Larry (laughs) Yeah, then fucking Ranbot goes on Ralph's show and tells everyone that I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Rand. Fucking guy. Yeah. You know, misinformation is... I was going to say, misinformation is alpha. Yeah. I love spreading misinformation and disinformation. <laughs> just Absolutely. Just that, that's fucking Sigma grind set right there. Just lie your ass off. It's like, listen, I'm so fucking Sigma that reality holds no sway over me. Like, I write my, <laughs> I, I write my own reality. <laughs> me and magic is real. If we just try hard enough, Larry will die. <laughs> like, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, my God. I... I, I, I do actually, there's part of me that lives, it's like I just hear and see what I want to see and hear. I mean, I try, in my role as like a journalist or um, even, you know, podcasting, I do want to, want to bring some truth to it. But just in my day-to-day life, I just I just don't pay attention to anything that I don't like. And I don't pay attention to anything I don't want to hear. And at some point, um, I was uh, having some beers and dancing with my brother. And uh, he goes, you know... You're a great disappointment. I was like, yeah, I am great. You're right. I am great. Thank you. I am great. But yeah, speaking Uh, of your being a journalist, um, do you have anything to tell us about the uh, developments in the Charlottesville case? Nothing really. Um, uh, You can catch my uh, updates on uh, national-justice.com. Um, I'm I, like I'm a little bit angry at our lazy med editor because he's not putting these articles up fast enough. But yeah, you know, that's an internal fight. But no, I, of course I love Striker. But um, 
the only real developments on Friday were well, I, I guess I could really very quickly stay on one foot encapsulate the trial so far. The plaintiffs, uh, which is Roberta Kaplan and Karen Dunn representing uh, 10 Charlottesville residents, have almost nothing. It's like uh, the, the Pepe Silva, Charlie Day from It's Sunny in Philadelphia board with all these yarn strings and they're like smoking and like, you know, just frantic. They're making an emotional appeal. The problem is, of course, that juries sometimes do respond to emotional appeals rather than legal arguments. Um, the uh, defendants, some of their attorneys are really good. Some of them are absolute shitbags. I mean, when you when you get up there and you say to the jury, you know, my clients are irredeemable pieces of shit. And Whoa, I did probably, you know, I, I, I despise everything about them. But here's the thing, you know. <laughs> Wait, who did that? You're already, what the fuck? Um, that would be the – I'm sorry I'm going to draw a blank on his name, but the lawyer for the National Socialist Movement got up and said, I don't like what my clients say. I don't like what they represent. Um, I find it disgusting, blah, 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 blah. And however, they have their First Amendment rights. Oh, very and convincing. they weren't part of a conspiracy. Yeah, and, and he even – okay, this was the most oh, – I, I was like my, – my jaw dropped at this. During his opening statement – he quoted the movie *Inglorious Bastards*, which is a Jewish revenge flick, revenge fantasy flick about Jews killing National Socialists, and he represents the National Socialist movement. What the fuck is going on here? Do you remember what the quote well, was? He said, "You know, my my um, lawyer steps up. He says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm here to do one thing and one thing only: kill Nazis. Disavow <laughs> my client. Yeah, I, I rest my he, case." Um, he uh, his quote was regarding and it, it was actually the, the judge like cautioned him because he was like, this trial is not about that. He was saying um, not only did my clients, you know, you know, they were just exercising their free speech, but I don't want to see this happen because this will force um, these people, quote unquote, the, the alt right, the white nationalist, dissident right, national socialist, et cetera. Not just into their mommy's basements, but underground if we bankrupt them. And to quote Inglorious Bastards, I like my Nazis where I can see them. Something like that. And I, the judge was like, look, this isn't about sending a message. It's about whether these people were damaged by conspiracy and whether they deserve monetary uh, damages for it. So yeah, even the judge is like, this like, is bullshit. Yeah, that's all well and good, but uh, yeah, that has nothing. Thing to do what we're talking about here today <laughs> yeah so he was terrible um, god damn it can't well you know if if, if you're going to argue that uh, the, the plaintiffs are making that emotional appeal um without legal points Cantwell probably did the best in response if the jury's going to respond to that because he came across as affable entertaining he was fun out of all this boring shit going on this was the most entertaining you know, hour or thirty minutes or whatever, however long. Is, he spoke. is it true that he uh, he asked the the jury to start listening to Radical Agenda and said nigger? He closed his he, clo he opened by saying, "I don't know how many of you have the intellectual curiosity to read Mein Kampf," and I was like, hey, "Here we go." <laughs> <laughs> and then he um, free Cantwell for God's sake, that man needs to be back out. Yes, yes. and then he during the, his his rambling and and very entertaining uh, opening statement. You know, he was self-deprecating in the sense of saying, you know, my big mouth gets me in a lot of trouble. It probably even will during this trial. Um, but he's like, I'm not stupid. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm not stupid, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he was very disarming. He was very complimentary to the jury. He was ingratiating to them. Um, and this was, I think, a calculated move, not just him being off the cuff. 
he said, you know, I got fired from my, he was giving his history. He said, I got fired from this job because I was uh, on this radio show and I got baited by some uh, uh, social justice warriors who happened to be black. And my response to them was shut up nigger. And, you know, it's like that was probably the first hard R that had been seen inside of a courtroom since Judge Norman Moon was in short pants, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what did it do? It takes away the shock value. He's sitting there saying without hesitation, I said the word nigger. Now when the plaintiffs played clips of Cantwell or any of the other defendants saying um, quote-unquote racial slurs or anything that the normie finds offensive, uh, a little bit of the wind has been taken out of that sail. Likewise uh- – you made a point uh, that – oh, sorry. I was, was going to ask – Oh, go ahead. Go. Uh, just real quickly, have uh, have all of the, the facts of the case uh, been presented or uh, – Oh, no, 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 no. I have a, a, one key piece of evidence to uh, to submit um, so that, you know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your honor, and may it please the court, Wes Bellamy is a nigger. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Let the record time- show. His name has come up multiple times. Like, do you know who Wes Bellamy is? Yes. He's and every time that, that question is asked, I start laughing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's how well do you know him? <laughs> another thing Cantwell did that I think was calculated and pretty smart that um, only one of the other uh, lawyers like did anything re- remotely similar. Um, just just a quick rundown. I'm not a lawyer, but here's how the basics basics of a civil trial work. During opening statements, you can say what you want, but you can't make arguments. You can um, use photos or sound bites as illustrations, but they are at that point they're not considered entered into evidence, right? They're just illustrating your opening arguments. When the plaintiffs, uh, when the plaintiffs were making their opening arguments, one of the things that they showed was a picture of the one of the iconic pictures of Cantwell macing somebody. Well, during his opening statement. Cantwell said, you know, you're going to during this trial, you're going to see the plaintiffs are going to introduce a photo of me macing someone. But I will be able to show that, I, you know, one, the guy that I'm macing is a white guy. So it's going to be pretty hard to prove that was some kind of racially motivated violence. And two, I had been uh, the guy I sprayed had been macing several other people, including myself. And because Cantwell is so memorable, no one's going to remember any of the other opening statements by probably now much less next week, but Cantwell was so um, uh, memorable in what he had to say when the plaintiffs go, Mr. Cantwell, did you commit racially motivated violence? And he you know, he says no, and then they, well, gotcha, here's this picture of you macing people. The jury's going to be like, oh, yeah, that was the white guy he makes that had been macing other people. It's just going to take a lot of the shock value out of it. That's so good. I think Cantwell did a really good job, That's and strange. again, I caution against anyone – uh, and including myself, uh, you know, trying to predict the outcome of this trial because you never know what a jury is going to respond to. They might be very reasonable and they might follow just the law and the legal arguments and they might be biased one way or the other. They might respond to the emotional arguments. They might respond to the personalities. Who knows? Um, but it's going to take a unanimous jury to find liability for each individual uh, defendant. Um, each one. And, and if one person is found liable, that does not reflect on any of the other defendants. They're all separate, even though it's a, a joint trial. So at this point, I'm just saying I, I think things are going well. And if I had to say something at all, it would be based on what I've seen without knowing how the jury reacts. It is the defenses to lose. Because the good. plaintiffs don't have a really good they don't have a really good legal approach. And then on, 
Friday we saw the first two witnesses, and it was so obvious they had been coached and that they were lying because they, uh, the first one, Natalie Romero, who is a illegal immigrant activist, says she doesn't know much about politics. Shouldn't even be here. Shouldn't even yeah. fucking be here. Correct. And then she had this fucking theatrical memory of, oh, the the sky was so black and the light was coming from the torches, and oh, the orange swing sets in the background. She had all these very specific memories during her questioning by her by the plaintiff's attorney. But when she was cross-examined by defense, boy, she had no memory of shit. And it was real obvious that she was like, oh, no, nobody, you know, like Cantwell was asking, for instance, did she see anybody wearing helmets on among the counter-protesters? No. Did she see anybody carrying weapons among the counter-protesters? No. There's multiple photos of the counter-protesters wearing helmets, wielding guns, mace, knives, batons. So it's, it's real clear that, uh, you know, Again, with cautioning that you can't know how a jury will respond, it re- you know they really just kind of tore her apart in that sense. That showed that she was not a reliable witness, I, I in my opinion. So that's what that's what's happened so far. It's going to be a long three weeks, and as with the Chauvin jury, um, you just can't predict. You never know what's going to happen. But just uh, you know, that's the reason we're covering this national hyphen is because the. Um, you're not going to get anything but a, narr- a, a pro-Jew, anti-white nationalist narrative from the mainstream the or from even like the Antifa blogs like Huff- Huffington Post. We're going to set the record straight. So that's what's going on there. But hey, we're going, we've gone a little bit long. Do you all have anything else you all want to talk about or plug or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I can plug something real quick. Uh, yeah, follow this Odyssey channel, and we're doing a, an episode of uh, Hate House tonight. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Ambrose and Jack McCracken are going to be joining me for sure. Maybe, uh... Jack! Love you, Jack. So hopefully I'll see you next week. Yes. But yeah, tune in. We'll be on, like, nine or so tonight. Okay. Nikkei, you got a plug? Yes. Uh, the Young Whites on the right stuff dot biz. Give it a listen. Hello? Uh, can you hear still me? Here? Am I still here? Yeah, you're here. Larry, can you hear me? Can you not hear me? Spectre can't hear us. What is happening? I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, can't. so since you can hear me, my plugs are coming through. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> sounds like follow me on Pleroma at Nike at Pleroma dot nobody has the dot biz. Right. Chat real quick. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened with Spectre. Uh, yeah, his, uh, bear with us. If hearing you can aid. hear me in the audience, just bear with me for a second. We can hear you. The uh, battery died on his hearing happened. aid. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking. This happens to old so. people. <laughs> I'm oh. just going to keep talking over everything. Well, no, I, well, y'all are dropping in and out. I just now heard you, but I, I just did in uh. case like uh, only you guys had somehow. I'm just going to go ahead and do the closeout. Hopefully, you can hear me. It's not going to be robotic or anything like that. Um. You can hear uh, Nikkei on the Young Whole Whites on the TRS Radio Network. Get behind the paywall at the TRS net- Network, TRS Radio Network, at therightstuff.biz/paywall. Go to National Hyphen Justice for ongoing Charlottesville uh, coverage, as well as the best journalism from Eric Stryker. Go to dissident-mag.com. It's uh, some great magazine journalism from the people who bring you fascination. Go to nationaljusticeparty.com and go to antelopehillpublishing.com for all of the best books, fiction, nonfiction, and translations, including, as of November 12th, my book, uh, along with Richard McClure, Opioids for the Masses, Big Pharma's War on Middle America and the White Working Class. 
Um, I guess that's it. I want to thank the live listeners for coming out on a short notice. Um, and that's it for a quiet Saturday Halloween Eve. Remember, I didn't write a tagline, so we're just going to get out of here. Mr. Producer, hail victory. See ya, Kyle. Thank you.